Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and I have a great show lined up for you today. So let's go ahead and get started with the news. Um, so the first big piece of retro news this week is uh, the company Collector Vision buys the name Acclaim and Exidy. So Collector Vision, of course, is the company that was going to have a launch game for the failed Coleco Chameleon. Uh, they do homebrews, um, like physical homebrew releases for things like the Super Nintendo. I've never played or bought any of their games before. Um, they have a Wii U indie title coming out uh, in the fall, which I might check out. Um, but as a whole, not something I'm experienced with. And then, of course, uh, one of the folks that is part of Collector Vision is John Lester, a.k.a. Gamester81. Um, so I thought it was really strange that the, the they bought the old name Acclaim. Exidy's not very interesting to me. I've never heard of this company before. From what I gather, they made arcade games in the 70s and 80s and then folded before the 90s rolled around. Uh, now, Acclaim, of course, is a company we've all heard of. Um, they started making games in... They developed and mostly published, but they also had in-house development teams. They bought a lot of companies throughout the 90s, um, like Iguana, who did the NBA Jam ports and things like that. Um, but Acclaim um, died in 2004. So they lasted from 1987 to 2004 um, and then died. Now, with Collector Vision buying these two names, they are only buying the names. So any of the games and the IP, the intellectual property, um, they are not going to own. So like for myself, one of my favorite Acclaim games is the Revolt uh, game on the Dreamcast. Um, some other company owns the that right, that um, owns the intellectual property to Revolt so they can continue that series going. Um, so I found it really, well, one, it's weird that anyone would want to buy the name Acclaim because it's not like near the end. Uh, they were very well known for quality. And then, yeah, I mean, really, it was just they didn't make a lot of quality releases. A lot of their games were shovelware, uh, were licensed games, and they didn't have a reputation for having great games and when I think like and when I think like a classic NES game I think of something like Capcom or Konami or Sunsoft I, I don't think Acclaim granted they did publish some great NES games I just took a look at Tiger Heli for example uh, a Tau Plane vertical shmup for the NES which I'm rather fond of but again it's not an Acclaim game and buying the name Acclaim doesn't get you access to that name Tiger Heli now for me this is mostly a non-story um, just because I don't really care uh, when companies buy names and try to use them and things like that like everybody knows it's not the real Acclaim or the old Acclaim the classic Acclaim just like when you buy a game today that says Atari, you know this isn't the same company, you know, from the 70s. You know it's just a name slapped on a case and Hasbro or Time Warner or whoever owns Infogrames, whoever owns the Atari name today, you know, they're just using that to try and sell a couple of extra games. I don't think it works. I've never looked at a game on a shelf and thought, oh, Atari, I think I'll buy this. Like, it's just not real. So that, um, that's kind of where the story ended for me. And then a buddy of mine, I've mentioned him on, I've mentioned him on the show before, uh, youtube.com slash pocketmigo, I believe, um, kind of brought up that it kind of bothered him, which I always find amusing, um, just because it's somebody who looks at things different than me, and I appreciate that perspective. Um, and one of the comments that he made was uh, 
buying, you know, another company's name is kind of like riding on the coattails of somebody else's work, um, which is exactly like what people, uh, whoever owns Atari today, you know, is doing. They're, they're riding on the, the coattails of, you know, all that awesomeness that was in the late seventies and the early eighties and, you know, how America, um, you know, was a huge name in video games. Now it's, you know, Nintendo, Sony, and then Microsoft. It's mostly a, a Japanese, um, Eastern, type of business. But at that time, Atari was everything. Atari was king. And you're kind of buying, you know, you're buying that legacy. I kind of think it's neat that what I like is there's still a value on that, on that work that somebody did. So all of those people that worked, um, you know, making the Atari name great or all the people that worked making the acclaim name, whatever it was, still holds value. And somebody can still buy that value that those folks created. So, I'm like pretty much anything. I'm pretty indifferent, but I, I thought I would share that other perspective because it kind of made me think a little bit. You know, should somebody, when you buy a name like a claim, are you riding on someone else's coattails or are you purchasing the value that somebody else created? Is that okay or should you worry about it? I'm not sure. Um, if I was a small company like Collector Vision, though, I mean, I don't know how much it would cost to or how much it did cost to buy a claim. I would imagine tens of thousands of dollars and seems like that money could be better spent elsewhere. I don't see how you get a return on that investment. Like if you buy the name Acclaim, how are you going to make that money back? Because somebody like me who's very nostalgic for old games isn't going to, oh, this says Acclaim on it. I'm going to buy it. There's no there's no return on, on buying it. So for me, it's just like a strange business decision, but I'm not a business owner. So maybe there is some merit to it. I'm not sure. Uh, the next awesome piece of news, and I pray that this is real, um, the company Retro USB announces the Nintendo AVS. Um, this has been way off my radar, but uh, checking out the Retro USB Facebook page, this has been going on um, since the beginning of the year. Now, Retro USB makes, or yeah, they I guess they've designed and, and produce, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. They don't obviously make it. It's made in China. They make USB adapters so you can play, so you can use a Sega Genesis or an NES or a Super Nintendo controller, plug it into this USB adapter, plug it into your computer so you can play emulators with a real controller. Stuff like that I, I really dig. I think it's cool. Um, so that's what this company does. Um, I believe they made a Game Boy type player for the NES. I think it was more proof of concept, um, but it worked. And that kind of brings us into kind of the murky area where I'm a little unsure what's going on here. So um, the Nintendo AVS will be an FPGA based Nintendo system. So um, FPGA, we've heard that a lot during the Coleco Chameleon talk. There's going to be all these FPGA cores for Super Nintendo and Genesis and Coleco and in television and, and whatever else where it's basically it's not like an NES on a chip and an OAC. It's not like uh, emulation, something like the Retron 5. It's actually like duplicating the original chips inside the NES. So what that gives you is a real authentic NES experience on modern chips. Um, the most obvious I think this is how the Atari Flashback 2 and 2 Plus worked. Um, it was a re, it is essentially a real Atari. Um, it functions exactly like a real Atari using brand new chips. It's not emulated Atari. It's real Atari. And I 
think I'm correct on that. Again, this is, I'm not an engineer, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's an FPGA based NES. Um, the cartridge or the shell, the casing looks cool. It's plastic. Um, it's kind of like, it looks like an NES yet with a modern twist four controller ports. Um, it's going to have 720p output over HDMI and it's set for a June launch date for $185. Now, the only reason I'm kind of skeptical about this is because it's only on their Facebook page and it's not on their website, which I find very odd. Um, but I kind of get it because most of my updated content is either on Facebook or YouTube and the website kind of takes a back seat because that's the way the internet works now. And then I'm not that familiar with the company retro USB in general. So I'm confident this is a real device. I'm very excited. This is totally something I would want to buy. Uh, the NES has some horrific composite output and the cost of RGB modding it is generally more than $185 or in that neighborhood. So I think it would be really cool to have a, a Famiclone that's kind of a real NES that can play Famicom carts, that can play NES carts and can give me beautiful 720p uh, digital footage that I can, you know, use to enjoy while playing the game. And then obviously use for the YouTube channel as well. Uh, from what I gather, uh, from the videos that they're putting on their YouTube channel, it appears that it's running off this. They have dozens and dozens of photographs over the past few months. Um, they even did a couple of photos poking fun at the failed Coleco Chameleon with various video cards in a clear shell meant to poke fun at them. And then they did show like the real prototype board, which looks like what you would expect a prototype board uh, to be. It's not all flat mount components. It's not that pretty. And yeah, so if that's really coming out in a month and a half, I will probably end up selling a few things uh, so that I can pick one up. Something that I am really excited about. I think that's that's really fantastic. So now... If you're watching this show, and probably if you're listening to this show, you'll notice that it doesn't sound as good as usual, and you'll notice that the f <laughs> the video footage looks even worse than us usual. Um, and this is going to lead me to my next couple of topics before we wrap things up. Um, so my Mac died on Sunday, so I had a nice um, new iMac that I purchased uh, last spring, um, and it died. It started making a weird crackling sound uh, coming from within inside the chassis. I shut it down, uh, went out for a Mother's Day lunch, came back, and it would not turn on. Uh, so yesterday, I dropped it off at the shop, and now I am using my old, old, old iMac uh, that I bought in the summer of 2010. Um, and this is basically a fall of 2009 model. So this computer is like six and a half years old. And it doesn't have an HD camera and uh, the software on here is all ancient. So I'm going to be editing. <laughs> I'm going to be editing this video using iMovie 09, uh, which I'm not excited to do. And the other problem with this Mac, um, the monitor starting to get dim, which uh, makes it really hard to get the video to look correct. And it's slow as hell. So this has got an old, basically a laptop. Uh, it's got an Intel Core Duo, um, which is a laptop 
chipset from like 2007 through 2009, something like that. It's like an old slow processor um, compared to the new Mac, which has a nice quad core i5. Um, so doing anything in iMovie, uh, any rendering, pretty much any anything is just a really slow, tedious process. Um, so I don't know how this week is going to go for me, and I'm not really looking forward to it. I actually took today off uh, yesterday, uh, or today. Today is Tuesday. I took the day off to kind of get this week together because it's going to... I'm going to need a lot more planning to get through this week. That also means I'm probably going to do reviews this week instead of the, the content that I really want to do. Um, I've kind of got my retro face-offs and the, the list videos all set for this week. I got a lot of awesome programming, uh, in the pipe, but I can't do the retro face-off videos in iMovie 09. I can't even do like a side-by-side -side footage in iMovie 09. That's how old this is. And then it's just a real giant pain in the ass to, to do any sort of audio editing and clip editing and get everything just right. Um, so if this, if I didn't have, I want to transition this into a few things. So computer died on Sunday, which meant that I didn't have access to iTunes. Um, so the way I listen to podcasts on the way back and forth to work is on an old iPod, like an iPod Nano, I think it is. Um, and the reason why is because it will last me all week and I don't have to charge it. So you know, two hours a day, you know, so it lasts at least 10 hours. I don't have to worry about plugging it in, charging it. I just plug it into the iMac. It syncs all the podcasts I want and I'm good to go for the week and it's fantastic. And then I'm not draining my phone battery, which doesn't really seem to last that long um, in the first place. So without having access to iTunes and my iPod, I had to find a different way to get through this week uh, with podcasts. Now, Google Play Music or, you and play music, I don't know what Google calls it, uh, within the last few weeks announced that they would now finally be supporting podcasts, which is kind of stupid that there was no official Google podcasting app, you know, for the last nine or what is it? Seven years, eight years of Android kind of insane. So, um, I had to kind of dive into Google play music and figure out how to subscribe to shows and, uh, all the ones that I listen to are on there. Um, and then that got me thinking, you know, shoot, I got to get the implant games podcast on Google play. So I got that submitted yesterday. It is approved and either sometime today or tomorrow, you'll be able to go into Google play music, uh, search for implant games, one word and subscribe to the podcast that way. So uh, if you're listening some other way and that's how you want to do it, that option will be available for you very soon, possibly by the time you're actually listening or watching this. So yeah, so that's Google Play podcast now on there. I personally, my some of my favorite podcasts are the Completely Unnecessary podcast uh, with Pat and Ian. Now I am not a big Pat the NES punk fan. I've never been a fan of his work um, since the early days of YouTube. I've always found him kind of obnoxious. Um, I'm sure he's a fine guy, like he's not rude or mean or condescending or, you know, anything like that. I just didn't like his style of videos. Uh, but his podcast is actually fantastic. Um, and it's like a totally different person. It's very strange. Um, but someone left a comment for me on this show saying, hey, check out the Completely Unnecessary podcast. And I'm like, yeah, all right. And then I ended up really digging it. So I do listen to that uh, This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte. And I listen to a Home Theater Geeks, also on the Twit Network. 
Um, again, probably right up the alley of a lot of you guys, uh, especially if you're into AV type stuff. And then I am a big Kevin Smith fan. Um, I think eh, it's hard to say in maybe a living room tour video I might have shown off. Um, I've got uh, Clerks, Chasing Amy, and Mallrats on Laserdisc, actually in a frame on the wall. Uh, big fan of his. So, yeah, I listen to a lot of his stuff as well. Um, so that's kind of what I listen to. So I think I've kind of covered everything I want. Um, I have workflow and efficiency written in here. Um, I talked a bit about how YouTube works, my interpretation of how YouTube works, how I tailor my content to entertain you um, while still talking about what I want to talk about rather than just talking about, you know, Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty or whatever. Um, and kind of how all that works and how my thought press process goes. And a lot of that, uh, what am I trying to say? The reason I'm able to kind of get out so many videos is because I have a pretty rigid workflow and I use very efficient tools. So I've always used iMovie, which is not the most powerful video editing software out there. And I kind of don't care because it makes it very easy for me to do exactly what I want to do. Uh, when I got a new computer last spring and, and updated to the newest iMovie, which was like four versions after iMovie 09, I was like, whoa, holy man, this would have made my life a lot easier over the last four or five years. Just how easy it is to get specific video clips, get everything lined up with audio, the way I can see my voice as waveforms and line everything up just so, so that when I start a new sentence, I can have a new clip match exactly. I can't really do that with iMovie 09. And kind of looking back, I can understand why I got a lot of criticism back in the early days of YouTube because I would use like 20 second clips or 25 second video clips just because it was a lot easier than splicing a bunch of six second video clips together. Um, where now sometimes I'll do a second, a second, a second, a second, constantly change it. It makes it more interesting, more in matches what I'm trying to say a lot better. And I've just gotten a lot better at making videos. Um, so this is going to be really difficult. I'm not going to have access to all of those tools that I like to use, but um, having a good workflow and using efficient tools or becoming efficient with the tools you do have available for you, you know, it's going to help you make, a, you know, content a lot easier. I'm not sure where I was going with that. I don't know why I wrote down workflow and efficiency, um, but this is going to be a challenging video to put together. I just recorded uh, Batman on the Game Boy. I just, re just played through that. And I'm not looking forward to making that video. All right, so let's go ahead and get this. Let's go ahead and get the show finished up here. Moving on to our final segment, Cheap Games. Taking a look at two games that I spent less than $5 on. One game that is now more than $5. And a second game that is still less than $5. Because while it's really cool looking at all of these rare and exciting video games that cost hundreds of dollars, that isn't really what collecting is all about. There are a ton of deals out there to find. And there are a ton of deals out there uh, you know, that you can get to today real easy and cheap so that's what i want to talk about so the first game is going to be the one that was cheap 299 and 64 this is f0x 
Um, this game goes for about 10 to $15 now. You might be able to find it a little, a little cheaper if the cartridge is nice and beat up like mine. Um, but this game blew me away. I believe I played through this last summer. Um, not a big fan of F-Zero on the Super Nintendo. I think I've talked about that before. Um, I think it's a bit overrated. I think it's a little more than a glorified tech demo, and I don't feel the racing is all that great. Now, I'm in the minority there. Tons of people love F-Zero. I don't know why. It does have a sweet soundtrack, though. Uh, but F-Zero X for the N64, on the other hand, is pretty amazing, actually. Um, for one, it doesn't really look like an N64 game. Uh, there's no anti-aliasing. There is very little work done to kind of smooth the, uh, smooth out the textures, and it's just a really sharp, crisp game. And even better, it moves at 60 frames per second, which uh, what I'm learning is on the N64, that's not very common. Um, a lot of N64 games, like Perfect Dark is a great example, have just really awful choppy frame rates. Uh, for some reason, at that specific time in history, developers put more attention on detail um, rather than frame rate. And some of the best PlayStation games and Saturn games, to me, are the ones that have great frame rates. So if it hits that 30 or even 60 frames per second, I find that it's aged a lot better than a game that might be more visually detailed but chugs along at say 15 frames per second it's a lot harder to play it's a lot harder to get sucked into that world and f-zero x runs at 60 frames per second and it is awesome uh, the game has an amazing soundtrack which really reminds me of like a, a sega rock soundtrack really fantastic uh, the controls are just super smooth and responsive, just like the frame rate. And then the, the track design is really just outstanding. So being a zero gravity game, there are sections of the track that move upside down. Um, there are sections of the track that are a pipe that you can move around in all 360 degrees. And even at $15, I think F-Zero X is just an incredible value. Easily one of my favorite Nintendo 64 games. I It's it's just outstanding. I can't stress it enough. The other thing that's really awesome about it is there are 30 cars on track at the same time. Now, even today, uh, that's pretty rare for a racing game. That just doesn't happen. That's a lot of AI for a CPU to keep track of. Yet, there are 30 cars in here all at once, moving at 60 frames per second, and it just makes the game exceptionally exciting. And then finally, there's a really great boost mechanic. So starting on the second lap, um, you have access to your boost. Now, this drains basically your shield or your energy. So in the first F-Zero, um, if you hit a wall or hit an opponent, your shield would go down. And then as you pass the start-finish line, you could recharge it. Now, that still exists in F-Zero X. However, you can use a boost to drain that meter. So if you get pretty good at the track and understand exactly when to break and turn and things like that, and you can trade that shield energy for boosting, and it, it makes for some really exciting finishes to the races like i just can't stress enough how great this game is so if you don't have f-zero x or you're looking for something great on the n64 spend the 10 to 15 dollars for it it's pretty phenomenal now the second game is of course the one that is still cheap i can't see this camera's in a different spot this says a dollar 99 i actually only paid 99 cents for this it was half off this is blinks 2 masters of time and space for the xbox now of course blinks the time sweeper uh was microsoft's sort of attempt at having a 3d mascot for the xbox and the game was panned pretty good no 
critics weren't very kind to this game. It had a lot of design problems, uh, making the game harder than it really needed to be, especially for a 3D platformer. Um, a modern 3D platformer for me is not about insane difficulty. It is about clever level design and good gameplay mechanics. So things like Sly Cooper, um, things like uh, Super Mario Galaxy, things like Ratchet and Clank, uh, Jack and Daxter, um, even something like Crash, uh, The Wrath of Cortex, just really awesome games. Not the hardest things in the world. Um, Blinks 2 kind of... Um, takes a lot of those stupid decisions that they made in the first blinks and gets rid of them. Um, so the main gimmick to this game was the ability to pause, rewind, and fast forward, and probably some other things I'm not aware of yet, uh, time. So you can hit pause and then sneak behind the enemy and then kill him, because it'll pause the screen for 10 seconds, which is pretty neat. Uh, if there's something's been destroyed, you can rewind so that it uncrumbles and then you can, you know, vacuum up the bomb, um, you know, before it blows up the bridge, stuff like that. So far, I haven't found anything super clever where I'm like, oh, wow, this game is pretty great. But I haven't found anything all that offensive, if I'm honest. Um, my plan is to get through this game today. Um, maybe we'll get through it tomorrow and review it for Saturday. We shall see. Um, but what I've gotten through so far is like way beyond 99 cents worth of fun. Um, this is a pretty solid or decent i don't want to say good because i don't know yet but it's not bad um i've mentioned it before and i'll probably continue to talk about it right now the xbox um is super super cheap to collect for there's a lot of exclusives on the system and uh the xbox was a decently powerful machine most games support 480p most games are widescreen and then there was a lot of cool um like shader effects that makes the games feel a lot newer than they really are um, so if you haven't checked out Blinks 2, um, I, for a dollar, I would absolutely recommend it. Super cheap to collect for, um, PlayStation 2 and GameCube less so, but that's something that I'm going to keep buying and, uh, keep playing and, uh, keep making videos about. So video is going to be a bit short today. Uh, again, with my computer problems and using this ancient machine, it's going to take me a really long time to get this first video into... First garage band to fix the audio so that this doesn't sound like crap. And then it's going to take even more time to get this imported into iMovie. And then it's going to take a long time to get it exported from iMovie. So I'm just going to go ahead and wrap it up. So if you are watching this video and would rather listen to this like a normal podcast, I have the RSS feed in the description below along with the iTunes link. Hopefully, by the time you're watching this, you can also search for this in the Google Play Store and subscribe to it that way. If you're listening to the show and you'd prefer to see it, uh, see my face for whatever reason, or see some of the games I've talked about today, uh, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash implantgames. And then, of course, I also do two other shows uh, every single week that you should definitely check out. So until next time, guys, have a great week.